Welcome to another episode of Discipleology, a podcast where we talk about what really works in discipleship. Michael, today we have a real, real big treat. We have someone in Hawaii. In Hawaii. Four hours earlier than us right now. Yes. Craig Webb is with us. He is uh, part of the Hawaiian Pacific Baptist Convention. Did I say that right? Hawaii Pacific. Hawaii Pacific Baptist Convention. Aloha, Craig. Aloha. (laughs) Craig, tell us a little bit about what you get to do in beautiful Hawaii. Well, I'm very thankful to have the chance to serve here uh, with Chris Martin, is our executive director treasurer. And he asked me basically to come and serve as one of their assistant executive directors, which means I do a lot of different things uh, besides, uh, it's one of my favorite parts is just being able to serve pastors. And it's something that I've had a passion for a long time, even had a chance to do that at Lifeway, doing the Pastors Today newsletter for about 10 years. I I get to encourage them, uh, some of them, uh, ask for coaching, uh, have chance to do pastor retreats, uh, also to uh, be able to provide um, resources. I try to share with them the things that I find out. Uh, that's that's one of my favorite things to do. We also have oversight for our theological education, for leadership training, everything to do, uh, small groups, um, there's, we don't have a large team, so it covers a lot of things. And I also get to do communications, which I really enjoy. We have a wonderful Pacific Connector magazine that tells the story of what's going on in Hawaii and the Pacific and Asia. Since our, uh, we cover about 11.9 million square miles on the convention. It, it, uh, it sounds like Andrew, you potentially should have asked him, Craig, what do you not do <laughs> in, your, in your role? But I, so the, the variety is, is, is awesome, but also the variety of people. Like I was in Hawaii, man, it's probably been almost 10 years ago. It's the only time I've ever been. And it was a, a wonderful trip. Uh, but I was struck by, I was there um, speaking at a retreat for college students. And uh, so there were a variety of different campuses that had come together. But I, I guess until I went there, I was not aware of how multicultural uh, Hawaii is uh, because it draws from so many different people groups and and so many different people groups are, are close. Right. Am I, am, am, does that ring true to you, Craig? Absolutely. It's we we feel more often here when we travel in Asia and Japan and Korea and Thailand. We, we we feel a closer affinity there uh, to Hawaii than often on the mainland because of the, the rich variety of the different heritages and cultures, uh, a combination of uh, folks uh, who have been here for many generations, um, uh, as well as uh, new uh, folks that are here. And I mean, span from uh, Japanese and Portuguese, of course, the a local uh, Hawaiian population. You have uh, Korean, a uh, lot of Thai, uh, Chukis, uh, Micronesian, uh, Samoan, Tongan, uh, so so many different things in this, as well as transplants uh, from uh, the mainland U.S. Yeah. from the continental U.S. Yeah. So in all your travels, I mean, you, you've got to come in contact with a ton of different 
a ton of different churches and pastors who have a variety of different approaches to ministry based on the people that they are serving. And I think that's I think it's a really important subject for us to talk about on the podcast, lest we fall into the trap of sort of, I don't know another way to say it, but uh, sort of taking an Americanized approach to discipleship. That's right. Um, so I know in in the United States, typically when people think about discipleship, they think very linearly. They, they're really process-oriented. Um programmatic, you know, it's sort of a step-by-step kind of kind of thing. So, Craig, this is where we would lean to you to say, is do you find that in the churches that you work with, or is that a uniquely Americanized version of what helping people grow in Christ look look like? Is it is it as process oriented and linear uh, in your part of the world as it is as it seems to be here? Well, of course there's a lot of variety in that answer because we have uh, so many different types of uh, congregations here. But I I would agree that uh, in Hawaii and I see also in Asia and Micronesia, South Pacific, that there is um, the relationship building is so important uh, being able to develop uh, deep relationships. I think one of the, the challenges whichever style of discipleship is um, living with folks long enough to where you understand some of the unique qualities of the different heritages and cultures, Mm. Um, being able to uh, understand what they're, what they're communicating with, what someone's communicating when they say something to you. Yeah. um, whether or not you're actually getting your your message across, yeah. how to hear you, I think that's a big part of the of the challenge. Is there is there a particular church that you would point to that maybe has a u- unique approach to the way that they make disciples? Somebody that you feel like is doing this really really effectively, even if it's not a huge ministry, but but that you could point to and say, and this th- this church with what they're doing, they are really helping people grow in Christ. I, I know. Um, the, the church that my daughter actually is attending now. And, I, and this is interesting. I don't know if you knew, I, I grew up on this island. And when my dad was uh, first, my dad and mom were first here, and they were in the 60s. Uh, he was the uh, the director of the Baptist Student Union here. And it's hmm. right near my office. And now University of Hawaii? UH, University of yeah, Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, uh, the church that she goes to actually meets in the, house where I was, uh, where I was. Oh, no kidding. Maybe. Yes. How cool. And uh, RJ Gresby uh, leads that church. He does the campus ministry here at University of Hawaii, but he has a, it's a small house church. Um, not, not so small by the, uh, by Hawaii standards, the 60 people will cram into that little house. And uh, they've been able to do a great job of reaching uh, both young adults and median adults uh, with highly relational uh, disciple making, uh, a lot of emphasis on prayer, a lot of emphasis on uh, the experiences they have as they go on mission. They're uh, in this uh, smaller uh, or what might call normative sized church. They've sent groups to Japan, Greece, uh, Portugal, um, and multiple Alaska um, and other places just in the last year. 
They've also this year in their sort of highly relational uh, disciple making, uh, they've transferred to using the D group model. Uh, hmm. Was able to do some training for a group of leaders who are now uh, discipling using uh, Robbie Galaxy's uh, replicate uh, model, uh, as well as community groups that they're they're using. So I. I've seen some real success. My, my daughter's being uh, discipled very well there. Uh, she's part of their uh, leadership and is really enjoying it a lot. So I, I like seeing that. That's, that's one thing that, uh, that I've seen that's been very effective. Um, so that's, that's one. I, I love what you said earlier about the challenge of understanding. Like you have to really spend time there to understand the heritage that the people are, are coming from in order to effectively communicate uh, to conf- effectively communicate the gospel and, and really understand some of the implications for what it is that you're saying. You know, as we've talked to uh, pastors and pastors of discipleship on the podcast, you know, we've asked them sometimes, what are the obstacles that that their church is facing? And we hear the things that you would expect to hear, things like, you know, time is a is a big obstacle because people feel overburdened already and they just don't feel like they have the amount of time that they can devote to this. Um, we hear vision as being an obstacle that people still are operating under the misconception that, you know, being a Christian is about the moment that they become right with God and that's pretty much it and you, you get that taken care of. And then you've added this one as another obstacle of just understanding that the heritage that people come from are there other obstacles you feel like pastors uh, in that part of the world are facing as they seek to make disciples? I think it's interesting. It's it's similar in terms of the the time. One of the uh, difficulties in Hawaii is just the high cost of living. The yeah. high cost of uh, housing. It's it's the highest in the United States, uh, and the the income is is not commensurate with it. So in doing that, often folks are having to, to work uh, two or three jobs hmm. uh, to be able to uh, pay rent. They're often, uh, you know, multi-generational uh, homes. Uh, folks are living together, uh, parents, uncles, that type of thing. So that does affect uh, the ability for folks to have time uh, to meet uh, so that's that's another one that, that I see happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been interesting for me to watch how, uh, in, in you know, different situations, uh, customizing the disciple making process uh, with with different types of cultures. I, I, one of the ways that I've seen this is that I'm I'm finding that. I want to help in the disciple making process of, of pastors and hmm. that's part of my heart and my role. And I found while the pastor retreat, uh, periodic pastor lunches, uh, lunch and learns leadership training events that we do are all helpful that I'm finding very often that one-on-one with the pastors is most effective. Uh, part of this is just, the trust level of being able to share things in a group versus someone they trust uh, one-on-one. And so I know that that, that has implications sometimes for a pastor who's uh, working on discipling 
uh, high-level leaders in their church, that there's times they may need to customize that while they may have a, a clear process of worship groups, ministry, and missions teams, that there are times that they, they may need to spend one-on-one time with some key leaders uh, in, in order to help them to move forward in their in their walk with Christ. The, the time that you put in an interesting perspective on the time issue, because I think previously when we've heard people say time, the ministry context that they're operating in, a, a lot of the folks we've talked to is sort of the middle to upper middle class kind of echelon. So when they say people don't have time, what they what they mean is that the family is busy, like they've got travel ball teams and, um, you know, dance recitals and whatever stuff to do with their uh, all to do with their kids. But man, when you, when you say time, you're talking about uh, people don't have time because they are working. Uh, and and even a pastor like RJ that you mentioned, like that's two roles that you've already said that that he does. He's pastoring this, so he's he is sort of bivocational in two different ministries at the same time. I assume that most pastors are like that, right? That they're that they are probably mainly bivocational and really struggle to find time to fit everything in. We do have a large number of uh, bivocational uh, uh, pastors in Hawaii. Uh, some of our stronger churches are able to fully fund a pastor, but often their wife is having to work yeah. full time. So in, yeah. in essence, they're bivocational. Yeah. Um, so that's, it is part of the challenge yeah. uh, in terms of their time as well. Okay. So coach me up, Craig. Let's say that I am, I am uh, in, in your sphere of influence right now, and I am a young-ish <laughs> I'm a, I'm a youngish pastor. I am I am bivocational. This is a this is a, a new church that has been started and we have seen some success. Some people have started to attend at our weekly worship gathering. But I know that I want people to walk more deeply with Jesus, but I don't know what else to do because I'm barely keeping my head above water just to get my sermon together every week to be able to to you know preach and and be there on Sundays or whenever we we meet. So coach me up what would you what what are you, what are you telling me as we sit down to to have this meal together? Always on my heart when I think about um, what uh, how I can encourage pastors is uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of Simple Church. That was very helpful for me in the last decade. And I think uh, helping pastors simplify what they're doing and often doing less and always thinking about what can I do to help the general congregation feed themselves. And so on a regular basis, well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, being able to talk about how, first of all, give them clear instruction on how to have a, a daily Bible reading and journaling prayer, something along those lines, something simple to, to spend some time and then model it and reinforce it on a weekly basis. I, I think that's so helpful. Then I think uh, having fewer things that they do that are, are going to help them move forward in their walk with Christ and thinking in terms of if I, uh, and, and this was helpful from Daniel M's book, uh, No Silver Bullets, where really I'm going to target the things that I'm doing. Say I'm going to offer one thing a quarter, and it's maybe a, a three-week class 
or discipleship study, or it's a video study, I'm going to target that to a specific group of people and, and really promote it to those people. I think that is helpful. I think another thing a pastor can do if, if they're able to have time is to take uh, a group of leaders on some type of mission trip. Um, for us, that may be, uh, we're focusing a lot on Japan. Uh, our folks here just have, they already have the culture sensitivity and, and our IMB folks and our churches in Asia, they love when Hawaii folks come because they already love the food. They, uh, they are used to the culture and they yeah. have a sensitivity to it. But I find that when you take folks on a mission trip like that, it, it, it's like when we would take our youth group on a, on a uh, retreat, it would advance their disciple yeah. making. Yeah. Uh, it's like a year of disciple making. Yes. Yeah. It accelerates the process. Yeah. I think that's yeah. really good. And the principle there, I really like too. We often think, that the solution to discipleship, even even though you can say it a lot of different ways, we often think it is doing more, like adding something. But I really like the principle of saying, no, 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 you don't necessarily need to do more. In fact, you you may need to do less, except do the things that you're really doing. Just really, really do them. You know, make sure less that, better. Yeah, less yeah. better. It's the whole 80, 80 20 kind of principle, right? That's right. Uh, and it and it works here too. Craig, I'm interested in the work y'all are doing in Asia. Uh, is there a specific culture that is, you know, more responsive to discipleship or is discipleship kind of just a universal structure? You know, uh, I know the churches there uh, struggle with it just like the rest of us. Sure. And uh, being able to, to get good clarity. We've seen uh, one of our uh, strongest churches is uh, – Tokyo Baptist Church, and they've just recently gone through a, a good planned pastoral transition and are doing a wonderful job. Uh, they, they represent in, in their worship services and their campuses uh, 50 different languages. Mm. Uh, so they are, they are multicultural in themselves, and they, uh, they still use a form of uh, purpose-driven church where they, they use some of those same types of, uh, of models. Um, however, they've, they've just doing, doing their uh, disciple making their ministry teams, their missions work, uh, with a, a lot of different cultures. Craig, what, what could or should the mainland American church learn from the church in Hawaii and Asia, do you think? So one of the things that I see that's so refreshing um, is that, uh, that different cultures and different heritages, people from different cultures and people from different heritages can be a part of the same church. Mm, I like that. And we do have... Um, churches that are primarily uh, gathering around one heritage. But one of the wonderful things that we see in, uh, in Hawaii, I've, I've even seen this in Yokohama in Japan, seen this in Guam, uh, seen this in uh, Calvary Baptist Church in Bangkok, Thailand, is where you have a, a, a combination of different 
cultures worshiping and uh, serving together. Uh, the church that my wife and I attend, um, I don't know if I could count how many different cultures are there. We might have 85 folks there on a Sunday morning, but I, uh, this past Sunday, I, there are folks that were from South Korea. Uh, there's folks with a, a Hawaiian heritage, folks that are um, from the mainland U.S. Uh, there are folks that are a Japanese background, Okinawan background, different so different cultures, and it is completely normal. Hmm. And I, I think uh, it's, it's difficult for my wife and I when we go back to the mainland. It was when we moved from Maui in 2003 and came back and we're looking for a church. We, we were, it was the, everything was so, in our case, was so vanilla. Mm-hmm. And it's a challenge, I think, to churches because I know in Mount Juliet, uh, where we were living for the last 15 years, uh, there's quite a variety of cultures that are there. And it's um, working toward, uh, you know, developing relationships, eating meals with, reaching out to uh, people from different heritages and different cultures. I love you know, that. What was it, Acts 11, Church of Antioch, when they first called people Christians because they were so multicultural that they didn't know what else to call there's them? Not a, there's not another name for them. Right. It is a beautiful thing when that, uh, when that happens. And I like the idea of what you're saying is to actually advocate for that. Like, don't just sort of sit around and wait and hope and, well, maybe this will happen, but maybe it won't. Uh, but to actually go out and, and seek it. Uh, is I think is a really is a really noble and courageous thing for a church leader to do. That's right. What I've noticed as we've talked with a lot of people now is it's intentionality. Yeah, and it takes time. Yeah. So if you can do those two things well, and if you're telling me I need to go to Hawaii for a long period of time, <laughs> you'd be, up that'd for be that. all right. It is a it's a it's a it's a slow cooker kind of uh, it's a slow cooker kind of process. But as Craig has said, you know, there it's important to note that even in the slow cooker, there are things that you can do that really do accelerate the process, right? right? And those are important milestones. They become important milestones in people's uh, in people's lives, whether it's a particular Bible study they do, or an event that they go to, or a mission trip that they participate in. These are the moments that just sort of kick things into high gear. But overall, discipleship has the trajectory of, uh, as you know, Eugene Peter would, Peterson would say, it is a long obedience in the same direction. It's just keeping moving forward. Just keep right. moving forward. That's right. Exactly. Craig, I appreciate you. Thank you for doing what you do. Where can people find out more about you and more about your work? If they go to hpbaptist.net. And be sure to look under resources at the Pacific Connector magazine. It's free and online and has a lot of uh, photos of the ministry that is happening throughout uh, the Hawaiian Islands, Micronesia, the South Pacific, and Asia. That's great. Also, if you're interested in learning more about how to create a discipleship pathway, we've got a free ebook for you as well. If you go to BibleStudiesForLife.com, there you can find the book. It's our gift to you. Craig, thank you so much for being with us today. Michael, always a pleasure. Yes, We'll see you guys next time.